Hello and welcome to another show for the love of sports. My name is Michael Raziel and I am joined by an incredible guest today and I'm trying to get it to go live on Twitch, Jacob, but it doesn't look like we're going. We're just here on YouTube today. I have Jacob Pollock. He is a USC football expert, lifelong fan, graduated from there. He's going to get his master's from there. So he's going to be a double Trojan, I think was the word, the uh, the way you talked about it. And uh, he also worked as a manager on the football and the basketball teams when he was there in college. Jacob, how are you doing today, man? Doing well, Michael. Great to, to be here on the show. And well, you know me, I could talk college sports all day. So this is going to be a breeze. This is going to be fun, man. We got about 45 minutes to an hour to talk about it. Let's talk a little bit about you first, though. Um, so the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Oh, well, it's that's an easy question for me. You know, when you live in Los Angeles your entire life and you're blessed with such great academic and athletic heritage at a university like USC, you got UCLA down the road, and of course, you have the Clippers and the Lakers and, and baseball and, and now two great NFL teams here as well. Uh, when you're in the middle of such a great conglomerate of, of athletic prominence, it's so easy to fall into it. And uh, to be able to come from a family that uh, put me as a in line to be a third generation Trojan, it was very easy to fall in love, obviously, with college football by growing up attending virtually every USC home football game since my first at age four in the year 2000. So that's turned into a streak for me of about 154 USC home games, 173 college football games, 17 Rose Bowls, and and many many other stats to to fill in the blanks in between. But I think for me, you know, a love for sports and and a love for such uh, tradition and, and prowess on the field really stems from growing up in that Pete Carroll era at USC. It was it was a run in an era that really is unmatched when you think about. Uh, the current century of of college sports from a 34 game win streak you know you're three points away from reaching a third consecutive national championship on a field littered with with tons of first round nfl draft talent uh, to be able to be up close and personal with those kinds of programs with those kinds of players and the, the talent that uh such a place like USC attracts you, you grow mesmerized by the game when you watch it. Um, and I think that those are, are years in an era that uh, you might not never see again in terms of talent. So if you're going to fall in love with sports, if you're going to fall in love with a sport, uh, naturally to, to have this kind of talent in front of your eyes, uh, the rarity of it turns into something very special. And of there, course, there. Yeah. Keep going. Uh, not, not something that I'm, I'm going to get rid of anytime soon. I love it. You better not. I mean, we could see your room here. Anybody watching um, on YouTube, either the live or the archive files, uh, as you can see, Jacob's got a couple jerseys, some pictures, uh, a couple other things in that room as well. Looks like some signed footballs there. I think you have stadium seats too, if I'm not mistaken. You got just about everything there. You got a you got a paradise in your room, which I think is awesome. And yeah, I think there's something about college football in particular, right? So I grew up here in the Northeast where. It is predominantly NFL. Obviously, we have the Giants, we have the Jets, you have the Patriots not too far away. You have the Eagles, unfortunately. I mean, there, there's so many NFL teams here where I live and where I grew up that that's kind of what I was attracted to first. I mean, as you see, I'm wearing my, you know, my Saquon, Saquon Barkley jersey right now because I love that dude so much. But it's just I never really I mean, I watched college football because it was football. I never got into it because it was college football, I guess, if that makes sense. It was just, oh, there's football on Saturday, too. So let's watch some of that. The older I got, the more, you know, pageantry is a word you use, mesmerize, you use your words, tradition, another word that you used. 
those are the things that separate college football from NFL, right? It's you're rooting, you know, as much as I'm rooting for the Giants, I'm rooting for Eli Manning, who was there for however many years, which is essentially my entire life. It feels like he was there. I'm rooting for Saquon, you know, this up and coming, you know, uh, running back, you know, when he was a rookie a couple of years ago, it was fantastic. But there's something about rooting for just specifically that school and then taking it a step further, actually going to that school and even being a part of that team like you were for a little while just adds so many layers and so many different, you know, opportunities that come along with it. There's something about college football. It's the stadiums. It's the 115,000 people that can fill up Ann Arbor or whatever it is, you know, the, the horseshoe over in, in Ohio State, you know, both Death Valleys, the swamp. There's just something about it. The Rose Bowl, obviously, which I actually so I visited Pasadena. And I, my buddy knows I'm a big college football fan, so he took me to the Rose Bowl. Unfortunately, the gates were locked, but I touched the gates, which kind of, in my mind, it got me there, which was close enough. But I guess, you know, as you said, you've been to all these games, you've been to all these different things. What, I mean, working on that football team, you grew up loving so much. I mean, how cool was it to not only get to go to USC, but then be a part of that team? You know, it's everything that I dreamed of when I was growing up. You know, at a certain point, reality sets in. Not everybody is is six three, two twenty, and and is able to to stab a pass out of the air going into the end zone. So, um, you know, when you grow up with that kind of era and and a winning tradition uh, that was the the P. Carroll days at USC, what kid doesn't dream of not only going to USC but one day becoming the next Heisman Trophy winner, hoisting up that trophy and continuing that tradition? Uh, that wasn't going to be me uh, at a certain point. But uh, whatever way I was able to to be around the program, to be around college athletics was exactly what I what I want to do. And I was very happy I was able to get involved with that uh, basically as soon as I got to campus Mm -hmm. uh, in in my freshman year um, back uh, back when Steve Sarkeesian was taking over um, or really what was a really Trojan team. Uh, at the time, turned a corner of a little bit, and uh, you know we'll we'll get into all that. But I think uh, you know you definitely get to see a difference uh, behind the scenes uh, when it comes to to the guys around the program and and the coaching staff. You know, I'll never forget the very first spring workout uh, that I was there for. Uh, it was about a five a.m. call time. Had to be there obviously uh, about an hour and a half before waking up in the middle of the night was not something that was a problem for me to to go be around this Trojans program. Um, but when the guys came through the gate for the very first spring workout um this was february of 2015 um they were they were taking that practice field um for you know again this is february so they're not allowed to have real footballs they're not allowed to do real contact drills this is just a specific conditioning workout but the energy that they're coming out of the gate with at freaking five in the morning to get on that football field. I mean, these are kids who work their entire life to get a chance to run out of that tunnel and to get a chance to put on that uniform. So of course there's a discipline that comes with that. And, and there's a, uh, there's a tenacity that they, that they bring to the table at that hour. It's a work ethic that um, the, the next rep you do uh, in the weight room, and the next rep you take when you do have that ball in your hands, uh, whether it be the Oklahoma drill or, or uh, running a route uh, there on the practice field, that next rep and that next step and, and that next play uh, brings you one step closer to, to the next season, brings you one step closer to a starting role if you're a backup. So if you don't come to the table with that attitude, it's going to be really hard to separate yourself. So I think my biggest takeaway was to see that attitude and that work ethic mentality uh, at a program like USC 
not surprising to see that at as early as five in the morning in February when you have a season that kicks off in August, September. So um, I think that's not something you see every Saturday. You see the final product on the mm-hmm. field or, or on television. When you get to August and September, you don't see everything that goes on um, in, in February, March, April, and, and so on as you get into summer conditioning. So a really special look behind the scenes and definitely lends a lot of perspective into what it takes to build championship teams. To be able to, to sign a football and, and have your jersey up on a wall one day is a great. Yeah. I love it, man. I think it's so cool. And just the opportunity that you had to really be able to see this, as you said, how excited you were at five o'clock in the morning. Um, And, you know, you can only imagine what those players are going through, right? You know, obviously both are pretty darn cool, but I'm sorry, Jacob, I'm kind of going to have to give it to the players on this one. Uh, (laughs) But I think, I think it's awesome, man. I think what you've done is pretty cool. And then just, just the last thing before we really just start talking uh, just about USC, you know, the upcoming year and, you know, maybe some previous years and then moving forward, you were a guest on ESPN at 10 years old, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, CSTV, College Sports TV, also at a pretty young age. Uh, well, you're, you're very well-spoken, so it, it makes sense. But I guess, where did how did this come about? And how did you start getting these radio hits at 10, 11 years old? <laughs> well, I think, you know, my my early streak of, of going to games, you know, definitely um, allowed me to learn the intricacies behind the sport and, and uh, behind the plays, the players, you know, the, uh, the tradition that is college football Saturday from a very young age. So by the time I'm 10, 11 years old, you know, I already have, you know, scores of games under my belt and, and experiences that I think would, would separate my level of understanding and analysis uh, from that age. Um, so in, in 2006, before um, a very infamous USC-UCLA game at the Rose Bowl, which actually did deny USC at the time ranked second in the country uh, under under John David Booty, the starting quarterback that season, a spot in the national championship game. They lost at the Rose Bowl 13-9, to um, a very gritty physical football game, unfortunately, um, it, going down to the wire that way for, for the Trojans. But... Um, as we're on our way to to the Rose Bowl, we uh, stopped in at the Brookside Country Club, which sits on the golf course there where, where the Rose Bowl does. And that's where 710 ESPN had their uh, Trojans Live pregame show uh, with Steve Mason, the ESPN personality. And in the radio commercial break, I tapped him on the shoulder, started talking a little bit of football with him. Um, and he says, you know what, this, this guy knows as much about USC football as we do. Let's, let's bring him on. Dubbed me the youngest sports analyst in the business as I was at the time, uh, just, just in the fifth grade actually. And that turned into a 12 minute, uh, segment, uh, after which Colin Cowherd joined, uh, joined the show. Um, listening to the broadcast was the producer of a, of a television show called Crystal Ball, which analyzed the BCS bowl game matchups um, based out of New York. So they brought me on um, in December to talk some bowl game uh, matchups there, the BCS uh, matchups as USC was going back to the Rose Bowl that year. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, that, you know, never underestimate the power of the radio, never under- underestimate the power of reach. So uh, it, it took off from there. But um, you know, I, I have such a love for this game, such a love for the sport and, and everything that goes behind the scenes to, to put it on. So, uh, any opportunity I have to talk, to talk ball here, here I am. And, uh, I'm just very happy that I was able to, to make that known early on and, uh, see where that takes me further. Well, uh, well here, here we are. We're going to talk some ball, man. Like, so talking about sports, I mean, who, who doesn't just want to do that forever and always, right? Like, I love it. It's my favorite thing I get to do. And I like talking to people like you who have just a, a, an insane amount of knowledge about a specific team or a specific sport. You know, I have, I have friends that, you know, know soccer very well. I have friends that know just, you know, NFL football a little bit better than most people. And, you know, we do these shows just because 
I enjoy it. And you know, why the heck not? I like talking into a microphone. I like talking to cool people like yourself. So let's talk about it a little bit. Um, USC decent last year. Can I give them decent? That- I, I'm, I'm going to give them decent. I think here's the thing when it comes to USC football um, year over year, especially as we look back on this, on this last decade, which, which I in, endeavor we're going to do over, over the course of this podcast, over the last 10 years of USC football, you have a very talented bunch of guys that come in every year who are not only eager to prove themselves, but eager to live up to that USC brand um, as they put on the uniform every day. So I think part of the, the issue that um, or, or rather a trend that's developed over the last few years is I think um, when it comes to certain games, certain teams, I think USC might underestimate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in a conference like the Pac-12, I think it's a very cannibalistic conference. I think there's teams that right. are, are nipping at the heels of everybody um, uh, every single given year. You have Oregon State, which I think is going to be a real sleeper team in the Pac-12 this year. We'll talk about what Jonathan Smith is doing up there in Corvallis. You have Colorado, who plays a very physical brand of football every season. Stanford, which under Jim Harbaugh in in 08 and 09 really turned into a brand name, um, dare I say, blue blood over this last decade, especially uh, with David Shaw taking, Mm -hmm. uh, taking over the reins there. So I think, you know, a lot of people think when you look at the Pac-12, you have teams that every year somehow you're never going to have a champion that emerges with less uh, than than a loss or two losses. Uh, you have teams that finish second or third in the north and the south with three, four, five losses in conference, and people like, say, "Oof, what's going on with the Pac-12?" There, you have uh, you know twelve teams that maybe uh, eight of them might be bowl eligible, and maybe half of those are just there mm-hmm. with six wins. But that's because these games are so physical. Go down to the wire. This is where Pac-12 after dark gets coined, of course, at night. Uh, you never underestimate the craziness that's going to come out of the conference um, on on any given Saturday. So you have these teams that continue to impress year over year that are right there um, looking to make the next um, turn up to, yep. you know, the next uh, level of, uh, of dominance there in the, in the echelon of, of the power five. You have Washington state that did that a couple years ago, cracking into the top 10 You had Arizona state in 2014. That was cracking the top six of the college football playoff. You have Arizona that went to a new year's six bowl against Boise state, uh, back in back in 2015, you have as I said, Colorado that plays everybody very closely, mm-hmm. and then of course you have USC, Oregon, and Washington who are really uh, kind of separating themselves along with Stanford. So um, it's it's not that there's a problem with USC or there's a problem with the Pac-12. It's the the level of physicality of West Coast football um, that losses are going to be inevitable. And I think in USC's case, it takes an extra little understanding of the kind of mindset and, and physicality that these teams are going to bring to the table um, because every year USC ends up with at least one or two losses that could have been completely avoided if there was a better understanding of the mindset of the team they were going to face. And I don't think that that's just a Pac-12 thing. I think that's a West Coast thing. You have USC last year that goes on the road to BYU, losing in overtime by a field goal 30-27. to And that was a game I circled long before the season started when USC first announced that they were going to go on the road to play BYU. BYU, who just a week before that went on the road and beat Tennessee, who's been bowl eligible a lot of a lot of years in a row. Kalani Sataki's come in as the head coach from Navy at BYU and has mm-hmm. really done a great job attracting talent and building a physical brand of football. 
And it made me think I'd, I'd love to have a conversation uh, with, with whomever scheduled a road trip to BYU on, on USC schedule the week after playing Stanford, uh, nevertheless, the week before playing Utah at the Coliseum. Uh, luckily, USC won both of those games yep. last season, Stanford at home. Uh, and then Utah at home on a Friday night when Utah was ranked 10th in the country. So some really physical games that BYU is sandwiched right in between. So I think that's a perfect example of, of a time when, um, you know, you have to understand where's BYU going to be? Where's their head going to be when big, bad USC comes rolling in? And it's not just big, bad USC uh, that that last year was bowl ineligible, um, you know, the more current season, um, only eight wins. When USC is rolling into Lavelle Edwards Stadium in Provo, Utah, this is the USC that BYU remembers from 2003 and 2004 mm-hmm. and 2005. Nobody's thinking this is the same USC team that now was bowl ineligible in 2018. So you have a very fired up BYU team that wants to say, I beat that USC brand of football. Um, so I think, you know, nevertheless, there's those games that come up. Um, another one that comes to mind is from 2017 when Sam Donald took the Trojans into Pullman, Washington and came up in the same score, 30 to seven, three points short against Washington State. Mm-hmm. The year when when the Cougars had um, a really impressive uh, season there under Mike Leach and really came uh, and put Pullman back on on the map there. Um, even brought college game day over to Pullman when when Stanford mm-hmm. was in town a few weeks later. So but again, especially when USC gets on the road at night, on a Thursday night, on a Friday night, on a team that maybe they might be overlooking when, you know, Utah is scheduled the week after BYU, which is scheduled the week after Stanford. I think that's where um, you can look at a schedule and you can see USC, um, you know, with with some slip up potential. And I think that Mm -hmm. there's definitely some games to look out for in the 2020 schedule um, where where that might, you know, be be some uh, you know, an eventuality for for USC as well. You know, um, if if you look there on uh, on their schedule, a road Friday night game at Utah, who was you know one win away potentially mm-hmm. last season from going to the college football playoff, um, a road game at Arizona after after a date with Cal at the Coliseum, and Cal's another one of those teams that yeah. I think we're going to talk about later that's making a lot of noise under Justin Wilcox in the Pac-12 over the last couple of years. So I think scheduling people really overlook where particular games where those sleeper teams might pop up, especially when you're playing them on the road, where you have some potential pitfalls. So when you say was was USC decent last year, you know, any team that wins eight games and goes to a bowl game, especially at the level of the holiday bowl, which is which has risen um, you know, in the in the rise of the bowl ranks over the last few years uh tremendously. It's the the third uh bowl game that a Pac twelve team is designated mm-hmm. for. Um, and, and same story for the Big Ten Conference there, almost like a mini Rose Bowl out there in San Diego. Eight wins to a team like Illinois is incredible. To a team like USC, uh, is, is mm-hmm. going to raise some question marks. So exactly. decent in the sense that you know you win eight games, you save your job for another year, but uh, nobody at USC ever um, is going to be happy with an eight-win season, especially when you go back to that schedule from last year and you think about which games – 
potentially USC could have found their way to, to wiggle out of and, and come away with. I go back to that BYU game. Um, I go back to the Washington game, actually, on the road. USC loses 28-14, to 14, but really held Washington to only seven points in the second half. Turnovers plagued USC up there in Seattle. And then Washington wasn't all that impressive down the down the stretch, mm-hmm. um, only going to the Las Vegas Bowl and, and winning seven games. Notre Dame they go on the road and lose three, you know, by three points as well. So if if a couple extra plays go USC's way on the road at BYU, on the road at Notre Dame, on the road at Washington, where it's just three points that separate and a couple of turnovers, then you think about how eight and five, um, or, or eight and four rather at the end of the regular season becomes ten and two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that those are the areas where if, if USC, um, you know, dots some I's and crosses some T's in, in this season, they have the potential to really put something together that's special. But again, I feel like that's something that everyone's saying about USC. They're one year away from being a year away. Mm-hmm. So now that we're here, what are they going to do with a, with a schedule where they have a little bit of the upper hand in the Pac-12? You don't have... Justin Herbert returning to Oregon. You don't have the kind of defense and the head coaching returning to Washington. So what are you going to do? Washington State too, exactly. Mike Leach leaving as well. Um, You know, they're breaking in another transfer quarterback um, uh, this year as well. So what are you going to do when you're finally in that year from being a year? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's going to be USC's biggest question mark this season, especially with the kind of offensive production that they return at the wide receiver and running back position and then in the secondary on defense. Yeah, It should be fun, man. And I'm very excited. And thank you for that very thorough breakdown. I appreciate that very much. And I think, you know, one thing, so I'm, I'm a Duke basketball fan. Um, Don't need to get into the story. Not quite a front runner, but a little bit. I'm not angry about it. It's the same thing with USC, right? Like you're always going to get that other team's best shot they're they're seeing the name on the chest we all grew up especially you and i our age you know we're we're you know i'm 28 right now i don't know exactly how old you are but like yeah we grew up in the heyday of what that you know reggie bush and matt liner and what those teams were able to do john david booty as you brought up as well like we we saw what they were able to do and and how how great they were as teams so that's kind of when i think of usc that's what i think of i don't think of lane kiffin i don't think of the the debacle that steve sarkeesian was like there were so many good things that came out of that era those three four five years what Pete Carroll was able to do i still like him as a coach too i think he's great for the seahawks so that's always fun and again you kind of remember that but it's just you're always going to get that team's best shot so as you said byu is not seeing the 2017 the 2018 version of usc they're seeing the 2003 2004 version and they cuz they they were pretty young back then actually now that i think about it do a little math they actually might not have even been, been alive at that point or barely alive at that point but still you're hearing those memories like that's who we talk about so that's who they're going to hear about and so it's just one of those things where they're always going to come with their best shot and they're always going to be there and get that opportunity. As you said, a lot of coaching turnover. Um, you know, Jimmy Lake going into uh, Washington. I actually don't remember who's taking over Washington State. Mike Leach. Nick Rolovich. Left. Nick Rolovich, thank you. Mike Leach is leaving to go to Mississippi State um, to face Lillian Kiffin at, in the Egg Bowl every Thanksgiving. So now we get an oh, awesome, love hilarious that. college love football that. game every Thanksgiving, which I'm excited about. Dumb name for a game, the Egg Bowl, but that's it's Mississippi. I don't really know much about it. Maybe there's a whole story behind it. So we'll see there. But I'm very excited to see that. Um, Cal, as you brought up a little bit too, I mean, they were feisty last year to say the least. Offense, maybe not the best. Defense, pretty darn good. So that's fun. We'll see what the heck happens with UCLA. I, I honestly, you know, Chip Kelly was revolutionary. Then he left and came back and everybody, it feels like, lapped him three or four times. And now he's kind of just 
trying to figure it out. And now they had that whole thing go down with uh, Under Armour, which isn't a very good look. Google that yeah. if anybody out there is looking. So, I mean, in terms of the conference, um, before we talk a little bit more about U- USC, how do you feel the rest of the conference is looking? And I guess in comparison to what the potentials are for USC moving forward. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the way USC has been in the last couple of years, I think some people might be a little tentative to pick USC as, as a front runner in the conference. And I think, oh, there's, and I'm there's sorry, some merit behind just- that. Totally forgot to talk about Utah and Oregon, the two teams that were in the Pac-12 championship game. So that one's on me. Poor job <laughs> on my part. But I feel like we're going to we're going to talk about them for, for a couple of minutes here. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you what about Utah. You know, in my opinion, you lose Tyler Huntley, who's a, a phenomenal, very elusive quarterback uh, as a, in the pocket and as a scrambler. You lose Zach Moss, the running back. So I think there's a lot of question marks around Utah um, on the offensive side, uh, at the skill positions, and then on the defensive line too. That um, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna necessarily peg Utah. Um, as coming back this season the way they really surprised last year. Um, although, you know, don't expect me to say that when USC is rolling in on a Friday night in October Friday. in Salt Lake nope. City. That's That game scares the heck out of me. But um, I, I don't, uh, you know, U- Utah would not be my first uh, choice as uh, the favorite in the Pac-12 South this year, I'll, I'll say for sure. Um, Oregon's got a lot of question marks as well, um, losing Justin Herbert at quarterback. Um, I think the problem, though, you know, Mario Cristobal has done an absolutely outstanding job at Oregon since he since he took over a couple seasons ago, winning a Rose Bowl in his second season there. Um, two bowl games actually under his belt. They won the Red Box Bowl over Michigan State in the season prior. I think the big question mark surrounding Oregon is their schedule. Right out of the gate, they have a date with North Dakota State in Eugene, which anybody who knows college football will will understand that North Dakota State is no cupcake opponent, uh, even though they come out of the FCS. The week after that, you go right into a matchup with Ohio State, which immediately will have playoff implications on both sides. You have Ohio State coming in off an undefeated season last year in the regular season, going into the college football playoff at the Fiesta Bowl, um, really doing quite well against Clemson, especially in the first half, and then break apart there. So you have a team that really had only one half of, I won't even say mediocre football, because they still gave Clemson its its best in the Fiesta Bowl. But you have a team that's going to come into Eugene that's going to want to prove something straight out of the gate. So right there you have back-to-back, very physical games for Oregon that's going to be breaking in a new starting quarterback. Uh, two weeks later, they go on the road to Colorado. They go on the road to Cal. They do play USC as well. So I think there's a lot of question marks surrounding how quickly can Oregon succeed out of the gate, and that's going to determine um, if, if they'll have a run similar to how they, how they did uh, in, in 2019. But I think, as, as we mentioned, the team to really watch out for in the Pac-12 is Cal. Um, as you said, feisty a lot last year in 2018, beating USC at the Coliseum for the first time in, in nearly 15 seasons. Um, and they got a lot to prove this year under Justin Wilcox. He's going to, in my opinion, be be quite uh, the attractive candidate to, to maybe even move up the ladder even more in, in the Power Five. Previously, he came over as Wisconsin's defensive coordinator, USC's, and now gets his first head coaching shot at Cal and really takes a program and, and puts some life back in uh, to a program that would be very satisfied with six wins and going to a Las Vegas Bowl and now says, you know what, we have a little bit more uh, to, to prove than that. They play TCU in the second week of the season, which if Justin Wilcox can get a W there, that'll really solidify Cal as as a team to to be scared of uh, as as we move 
about the 2020 season. Um, you mentioned their offense was a little bit inconsistent last year. Mm-hmm. I'd attribute most of that to their starting quarterback, Chase Garbers, being injured um, for, for most of the season. He came back for the USC game in November, held USC pretty close in the first half, actually, and then went out with a concussion in the second half, and then USC rolled to score 41 points and, and take the game from there. So I think if he can stay healthy, if Justin Wilcox can keep the momentum going, um, you know, they get Utah at home, they get Oregon at home, they get Washington at home, Stanford and UCLA round out that home slate. So I think Cal really has the potential to put forth um, a special season. And and dare I say, even Oregon State in, in that Pac-12 North, Jonathan Smith uh, comes in in Come his first now. season. It's still Oregon State. It's Come still on. Oregon State. On. Well, well. Michael, you got to understand, I come from a time at USC where USC would not win in Corvallis for for six uh, uh, years, three three games out of that, where Mark Sanchez goes in when USC is number one in the country in 08 and they go down. In 06, John David Booty's the quarterback and USC gets upset in Corvallis. Um, in 2004, even even in Matt Leinert, you know, weather plays a factor, uh, and and USC pulls out a very close win there. Uh, 2010, when when USC went back to Corvallis, they they muster up only a touchdown uh, under Lane Kiffin and lose 36 to seven. So 06, 08, 2010, USC goes down in Corvallis. So when I say that I'm a little afraid of Corvallis, I, I take I it a little that. bit personally, um, but. From, from a more realistic standpoint, Oregon State rattles off five wins in 2019. And, and under Jonathan Smith, a, a name that re- really wasn't household known across the Pac-12 and, and probably even out of the West Coast. So five wins for Oregon State is very impressive. Um, and, and dare I, I use the word impressive with a team that, that didn't even qualify for bowl eligibility. But I think if they can play with the same level of competitiveness and, and have that physical spirit shine through when they play, look out for Oregon State to be bowl eligible. I'll leave it at that. Um, and, and I'll say sleeper in the sense of, of becoming bowl eligible and playing spoiler for, um, you know, for teams like Cal and, and UCLA um, and, and Oregon, who all pay a visit to Corvallis. So watch out for, for them in, in that regard. But across the conference, I think you're going to see that same very physical brand of football that the Pac-12 is known for. I do think that USC would be the media favorite to win the Pac-12 South, not because of, of the cool memorabilia I have behind me and, and uh, my, my USC bias, if you will. Um, but again, if you think about the production that's coming back, especially at receiver, Running back, you have Keaton Slovis, of course, a quarterback who probably a very dark horse um, contender to be on stage in New York as a Heisman finalist. Not to say he'll beat out the likes of of Justin Fields of Ohio State and, and Trevor Lawrence, of course, at Clemson. But in the conversation, the stage, in the conversation of, of getting to the stage, so I think when you think about that kind of production, what Utah's losing, um, I think Herm Edwards at Arizona State is obviously going to find a way to give every team their their run for their money. But um, I would put USC as the favorite to win the South. Uh, in the Pac-12 this season, assuming hopefully there is a season, uh, of course. Um, And then in the North, as I mentioned, there's a lot of question marks. You have Cal that's going to make some noise, Oregon that's going to be the favorite just given the fact that they're coming off that Rose Bowl, returning a lot at the skill position at wide receiver. And then what are you going to do with Stanford? Um, I think, and of course, Washington is, is going to be in that conversation. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned, breaking in Jimmy Lake, uh, losing Jacob Eason, their starting quarterback, the Georgia transfer, it's, there's going to be some pain points working through 
that transition, I think, in Seattle, especially when you got Michigan coming for week one, a game I think we're going to talk about a little bit as well. So I think you're really going to see some competition break out between Oregon and Stanford for for that first place there in the Pac-12 North because from Stanford's perspective, you have a team that didn't go to a bowl game last year for the first time in a while. And if you think about what Stanford's done from 2010 to where we are today, three Rose Bowl appearances, two wins, an Orange Bowl victory over a very impressive Virginia Tech team uh, way back one at the start of the decade, a near Fiesta Bowl win over a great Oklahoma State team in 2011 and of course bowl bowl eligible virtually every year after that except for last year or so for stanford to to really slip up a lot and i'd attribute most of that to injury to kj costello their starting quarterback last season who by the way is now transferring to mississippi state to play with mike leach um, a bit of a head scratcher there considering he was more than likely going to be yet again stanford starting quarterback this upcoming season now you turn to Davis Mills, most likely Stanford starting quarterback this year, who filled in admirably for KJ Costello, but did not have the same elusiveness and the same arm strength. So um, Stanford's very high on this guy, but I think it's going to take some breaking in. So if Stanford can figure that out, of course, they always have a very physical defense, very physical uh, running attack. Anytime mm-hmm. you play Stanford, it's a, it's a battle in the trenches, um, n- no matter who you are. So I think Stanford's going to make some noise if they can if they can rebound this season, of course, with Oregon. So I think a lot more question marks in that very crowded Pac-12 North than the South. And I, I like that. It's, it's a pretty good understanding that you give us in, in seeing. It, it, there's, and that's one of my favorite parts about college football. There's always turnover. Tom Brady can't play for the, you know, the the, the Michigan Wolverines for 15, 20 years. Yes. You know, after, after most likely three, sometimes two, occasionally four, that person's gone. And you don't really have to see them anymore, which is like a, kind of a good thing uh, for fans against, uh, you know, obviously. I'm sure you would have loved to have Matt Liner for a few more years. Uh, you got him for that extra year to what to dance or something. I, I don't remember what that was. <laughs> uh, no, I kid, of course, because uh, I've taken dancing. It's a lot of fun and it's pretty hard. So uh, in terms of so let's let's move over to USC a little bit. So I appreciate the breakdown. So a couple things. One, Clay Helton's job. It's more of a, it feels like every single year. It's more of a when he gets fired than an if he keeps figuring it out and he keeps staying there uh, i think one big reason for that was we spoke about you know jt daniel started out as the quarterback unfortunately got hurt keaton slovis comes in and is i'll say pretty damn good uh, he was a lot of fun to watch last year which is which is great and as you said that offense what they're returning i think is very important but jt daniel transferring over to georgia so we'll see what happens there but one thing that really kind of struck everybody a little confusing this year was how poorly the usc recruiting class is i'm looking at it right now on 247 sports uh and it looks like they're nationally ranked 55 and in the pac 12 they're ranked 10th which is crazy to me so i guess talk a little bit about clay helton and how this recruiting class doesn't really help him in terms of what he is gonna you know what what the expectations are for him moving forward yeah well i think for starters if you look at what's coming in in 2021 that's where the usc recruiting class is completely 
That uh, means we have to wait like three flopped. years for those dudes. Like, right? <laughs> they're not going to be here this year. They're really not going to play much in 2021. So you, we're sure. talking about 2022. Well, we can't, Jacob, I, I, again, I love college football and I love Outlook. Uh, you know, being a Mets fan, you know, it's always, as you were saying, it's the next year till the next year. But I'm, it, the dude, he's probably not even going to make it to 2022 to even reap the benefits of that 2021 class. So, Well, I, I'll, I'll say this much. When it comes to recruiting, I do think that next year's recruiting class gives Clay Helton a little bit of breathing room. Nationally, they're ranked fifth. In the Pac-12, they're ranked first. So I think, obviously, quite the polar opposite from, from those numbers you just mentioned in 2020. Um, but to, to your point about playing time, you know, those same guys who are coming in um, ranked 50, 55th in the, in the country, I don't think you're going to see the field as, as quickly uh, considering that level of production that USC is bringing back. Um, so at the receiver position, you have Tyler Vaughns and Amon Ross St. Brown, two very elusive, very um, fast wide receivers. Um, and when it comes to Tyler Vaughns, there is nobody in the country, and this is proven statistically, who is more accurate in reeling in balls, tiptoeing the sideline um, with, with one foot, uh, let alone two, um, already getting ready for the next level with, uh, with, those, mm-hmm. uh, with those skills. Um, and then you have Amon Ross St. Brown, who, as we saw last year, very versatile. He's gotten into the kick returning game, punt returning game. He's a slot receiver, so he's not as large as Tyler Vaughn's, but he's very uh, slippery getting through the, through the linebacking area and, and the secondary. Um, and even in, Colo- in the Colorado game last year, uh, he came in as a running back and scored a touchdown. Um, so I think at the, at the receiver position, uh, USC returns a lot of firepower, including somebody who surprised very quickly last year as a true freshman, Drake London, who down the stretch, especially against, uh, against UCLA and Iowa, uh, reeled in some pretty cool touchdown passes as well. Um, I think the biggest question mark um, in a good way of, of what USC brings back this season is the running back core. Um, you have names that feel like have been around forever, Stephen Carr and uh, Vavai Malapai at the running back position, who, as the two seniors, are probably going to see the bulk of the workload. Um, you have last year a true freshman named Keenan Kristen, who got a lot of playing time when those two were hurt. Um, he was was getting some some compliments of of having dare dare we say Reggie Bush level speed uh, and was quite a threat in the passing game. This this kid flew across the field, um, got the start against Oregon and, and Colorado too. So um, they're going to find a way to make sure this kid touches the ball. Um, but I think the best kept secret, and it's not quite a secret anymore since he's had um, a couple years worth of playing time, is Marquis Step at the running back position for USC. I cannot sing number 30's praises enough. This is a big running back whose whose legs are moving through the pile dragging defenders with him if you were to go and check out some highlights especially of that notre dame game last year a losing effort but a, a valiant one nevertheless out of usc marquis step drags defenders with him you have to understand the power that this guy runs with and it always is a bit of a head scratcher for me when you see first down, when you see second down, it's always Stephen Carr. It's always Vivai Malapai. Very good running backs, very capable running backs. But it is a different type of downhill running attack when Marquis Step gets the ball for this Trojan offense. So I think the you know that's going to be Graham Harrell's biggest challenge, the offensive coordinator at USC, um, the very popular one, getting some some head coaching love uh, potentially with the with the likes. Um, of, of some other college football programs, offensive coordinator, uh, love. Uh, he was flirting a little bit with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, in, in the offseason, too, at the NFL level. 
um, but nevertheless, very happy to have him back at USC. I think his biggest challenge is going to be figuring out what to do with not one, not two very capable running backs, but four, um, and figuring out uh, how how to utilize their best strengths. If it was me, Marquis Step is a guy you can you can have pound the rock thirty times a game, and you'll you'll see him in the end zone quite quite frequently. So I think uh, you know playing time and and shifting the carries is is going to be um, is going to be a question for for this season. Uh, what what to do with the four of them? Then on the defensive side, you bring in Todd Orlando. Todd Orlando, the new defensive coordinator coming over from Texas, a household name when it comes to defense in college football. But even from day one of spring practice, and funny enough, there was only one before the team uh, was was sent home here in California. But the team could not rave enough about his enthusiasm, his grit to, to get back out on the field. I think you're going to see a very different and physical brand of defense out of USC, especially on the on the defensive line, where you bring back Drake Jackson, who is one of the more um, fun defensive ends to watch in the country as a freshman. Very elusive. Um, re- reminds me a lot of uh, Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon, um, who was the, the Pac-12 freshman of the year there. Um, so you have a great pass rushing attack and a veteran defense coming back in the secondary unit, um, which Todd Orlando has been spending a lot of time with also breaking in, um, a, a new secondary coach as well there who actually came out of Oregon. Um, but you have Talanoa Hufunga, who is considered by a lot to be a potential first round draft pick this year. You have Isaiah Pola Mao, um, who has a couple years of starting experience under his belt. Chris Steele, the Florida transfer at the quarter. Uh, at one of the corner spots as well. Greg Johnson, who brought in a couple interceptions at the other. So a very veteran defensive back unit along with the safeties. And then, of course, a senior in J2 Fele on the defensive line, who's also considered um, by by most draft experts to be a potential first-round pick. So I think, again, if the defense can live up to the hype, that's going to be uh, the glue there that that buys Clay Helton the chance to to enjoy this 2021 recruiting class. And, and we'll see. I think, you know, obviously Todd Orlando coming over from Texas. Uh, I will say there's a reason he's not at Texas anymore, though, right? Like that's, again, I'm all for it. And I understand, again, I know a little bit more about college football than, you know, we'll say the average person. I like to think I watch from about 12 to 1, uh, meaning 12 o'clock in the afternoon to about 1 o'clock at night because I love it so much. So I know a little bit more about some of these names and the teams. But again, there's a reason he's not at Texas anymore, right? If, if he was so fantastic at Texas, he would either stay there and they would have paid him buku dollars or he would have been a head coach somewhere. But I agree with you. I do think it's going to be different. I think it's going to help USC. And I do think it's going to be important. Um, obviously, Graham Harrell, he's in his second year now, right? Um, and they have that you know fantastic air raid offense. It is so much fun to watch and especially second year with it quarterback that you know i think slovis was there for about most of the year last year at least starting for most of the year last year a significant portion if not half um right about right around half oh yes slovis uh was the starter beginning in september with that stanford game oh yeah yeah yeah. you're right that's when jt daniel unfortunately went down and then it's slovis got hurt at some point last year though right yeah slovis had had a little bit of troubles troubles of his own uh with with some concussions so matt fink stepped in uh in that Utah game, actually. So when USC beat 10th-ranked Utah, that was actually uh, with Matt Fink because Keaton Slovis went down on the very first uh, offensive mm-hmm. possession USC had. Keaton, Slo- Keaton Slovis also went out in the second half of the Holiday Bowl. He didn't play that Washington game, which was which was another loss um, because he was still concussed following 
following the Utah win. Mm-hmm. So Matt Fink stepped in really well against Utah, didn't quite live up to to the same expectation against Washington and, and in the Holiday Bowl against Iowa, but still on the roster there. USC also brings in a transfer quarterback from Vanderbilt, Mo Hassan, um, who's who I think is going to challenge Matt Fink a little bit for for the for the second string position so um definitely some experience behind uh the first string there when it comes to the quarterback position but of course um i think we all want to make sure keen slovis takes the majority of those reps because uh statistically when it comes to catchable passes he ranks first in the country in terms of of accuracy so um and and all for somebody who is a a true freshman not a five-star recruit coming out of arizona so not the prototypical usc quarterback that you're used to seeing out of southern california who's usually a little bit taller and and a little bit more highly touted coming out of high school but but keaton slovis filled in quite well last year obviously the starting quarterback moving forward uh this year and and you'd have to think beyond as he's now just gonna be a sophomore true sophomore Yeah, I, I think I'm all for it. I always love seeing those young guys just just get at it and do well. And yeah, of course, hopefully he stays healthy all year. It would be a problem physically and personally if he just continues, uh, you know, have have brain injuries. That's never a good way to look at it. But hopefully he will be just fine. So, uh, Jacob, this has been so much fun just getting to hear about USC, getting to hear about the Pac-12. We're we're button up against the time. And I know we have a bunch more stuff to talk about. So how about we cut this one a little short? And then we just do another episode where instead of talking about Pac-12 and USC, we just talk about all college football. So we get two hours instead of Let's one. Do that, Let's do it. Let's do it. good? All right. Sounds man. great. So we'll, we'll cut it there. Jacob, Paul, or any, any, how about, how about, how about this? Um, what, how do you think, give me, give me a, uh, give me a prediction on USC's record. Uh, you have the schedule in front of you. We, you can even go through game by game. We have about 10 minutes left here. Uh, so yeah, let's, go, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's get that in, get a couple more minutes. So we're right up to about an hour and then we will, uh, we'll do another episode. Maybe let's call it next week. We'll do something offline. We'll figure it out and we'll get, to, we'll get to do this again. How's that sound? That sounds perfect. Well, Love it. Awesome. looking forward to 2020, assuming that all, all these games get to be played. Obviously, the the one you're going to circle straight out of the gate, USC goes to uh, goes to Texas again to play Alabama at AT&T Stadium. Of course, when you come off a 52 to six loss to Alabama in 2016, I definitely scratched my head when very quickly USC was quick to schedule a rematch um, just a quick four years later at the same venue. Uh, AT&T Stadium hasn't been quite good to USC lately. Uh, we, we lost the Cotton Bowl there too to Ohio State in 2017. So um, obviously a game that, that's going to make your heart race a little bit if you're a Trojan. Um, but I will say when it comes to Alabama, a lot of question marks that surround this team as well because – they don't have Tua Tagovailoa anymore. It's going to be between Mac Jones, who took over for Tua after his knee injury last season. Uh, Mac Jones did not have Alabama win the Iron Bowl against mm-hmm. Auburn last year, um, though they did beat Michigan in in the Citrus Bowl. So he's probably um, going to be the guy who who gets the nod just from an experience standpoint, especially when you play USC. But then you have Bryce Young, one of the more uh, highly touted quarterback recruits coming into Alabama, previously committed to USC, flipping over to Alabama. So it wouldn't surprise me if you see a mixture of both quarterbacks uh, in this game. You know, for me, it's it's hard for me to pick a loss. Um, obviously, uh, as as a loyal Trojan, it's hard for me to to say that 
after all the question marks surrounding USC and Clay Helton and being a year away from a year away and having a lot to prove, it's so hard for me to to say that the Trojans are not going to come out and, and put that um, into 60 minutes of work. Um, so I do think you're going to see a much different football game uh, against Alabama than you did in 2016. Is it a, is it necessarily a winning effort? Um, not too sure. Uh, when when you talk about the physicality of the Pac-12 as we have, obviously it is much different when it comes to the SEC. So um, I would I would love to be able to pick an upset win against Alabama. Um, come back to me in, in the second half of that game, especially depending on who the starting quarterback is and how the Todd Orlando defense adapts to each of them. So I'll just, um, I'll pick Alabama in that one. I think they're favored <laughs> by about 14 points right now. They I'm are. sorry, dude. I think, uh, I think we're going to have to roll with Bama on that one. So I, 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 I definitely it, am, am not going to, so you don't have to, you don't have to feel bad. You, you can still kind of live in your <laughs> fantasy land a little bit. Has that said, no, I kid, of course, but all right. So let that's the Alabama game. Let's, 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 uh, Let's pretend yeah. that one didn't happen yet. Let's, let's pretend let's... that one didn't happen and the season starting with New Mexico at the Coliseum on September 12th. Um, I'm not much to talk about with, with New Mexico yeah, there, I, I think. Regardless yeah. of what goes down in Texas, USC rolls against New Mexico. Then on the road at Stanford, USC always gets Stanford early, especially when, the, when it's a road game there. Um, USC hasn't won at Stanford since 2014. I do think this is the year... Um, considering USC beat Stanford last year, twice um, in, in 2017, um, one of which for the Pac-12 championship. Again, I think Stanford, as we saw last year when they didn't have KJ Costello, a very different team with Davis Mills. So how he responds in the offseason, I think, will determine how Stanford plays against USC. Um, but again, if, if you know, crowd's not usually um, a, a factor when it comes to playing Stanford early in the season because uh, their their academic calendar doesn't really start until well after after they play in the in the early part of the season so there's never really a student section there for the USC Stanford game so I think if it comes down to playing hard-nosed focused physical football USC could walk away with a win um, the week after that Arizona State comes into the Coliseum and as I mentioned before Herm Edwards has really got these Sun Devils believing that not only was he the right man for the job which of course um there were some question marks around that when he was hired after yeah. quite a hiatus of coaching. Um, the Sun Devils are really back in the fold. Um, luckily for USC this year, they're at the Coliseum. Um, so I think that that's a win against Arizona State. But a physical game, a very fun game. Absolutely. I think that's if you want to see Pac-12 football at its finest, an air raid offense against a coach that has absolutely nothing to lose, tune into USC Arizona State. Um, and, and Hey, if, if USC can beat Alabama, if they can beat Stanford and if Arizona state rolls in three and L, if you look at the calendar of, of the slate of games, there on the 26, um, that might even be, you might see college game day there at the Coliseum for USC and Arizona state. Um, but the week after that, it's a short week, Friday night on the road at Utah. As I mentioned before, this is what makes my heart race a little bit as, as a Trojan. One of those games where, as I look at the schedule, you know, Again, you don't want to have to look at a schedule and say, here's an automatic loss. I'm not going to say that. Um, but if there's a game where you're going to circle and you're going to say, this is where USC really has to have its guard up, it's that Utah game on, on Friday night there uh, to kick off October, especially because the next week, Cal comes to the Coliseum. And as we talked about, Cal is going to be a fired up team, especially the last time they came into the Coliseum, Cal beats USC um, 15 to 14. 
So if Cal can keep it rolling under Justin Wilcox and keep it competitive and keep it physical, that's going to be a game that definitely goes into the fourth quarter. I think, again, as, as I mentioned, USC, hopefully a different team this year in 2020 with that kind of, of firepower that's coming back on offense. So I, I'll chalk up a win there against Cal, but close. Okay. The week after that, USC goes on the road to Arizona. Um, a very interesting part about USC's schedule, there are never two home games or two road games in a row, um, which hasn't happened in a while. So they so they flip and flop. So back on the road goes USC to Arizona. Um, again, Arizona, a tough place to play when it's at night. I think the time of the game can really have a big impact on the outcome. Heat's going to be a factor as well, you know, being uh, still middle of October. But if USC can get Arizona early in the in the day as opposed to late at night, look for that to be a little bit more of an easier win. If it's the latter, that's going to raise some question marks. And especially Kevin Sumlin is is well established enough in the head coaching job of Arizona that this is a make it or a break it year for him. I think mm-hmm. he's come over from Texas A&M, where again, very similar to USC a year away from being a year away uh, type of type of coach. And I was under the belief when he would come into Arizona, he would be hitting the ground running. Arizona hasn't quite responded to that. Um, definitely um, a lot of inconsistencies there in Tucson. So again, time of day can be a factor, but I do think USC gets it done on the road there. Colorado then comes to the Coliseum. Very happy to get Colorado at home as opposed to on the road. The last three times USC went to Boulder in 15, 17, and 19, Colorado played USC well into the fourth quarter. Uh, When it's at the Coliseum, it's been a different story. So I think that continues this year. Um, And then um, another one of those marquee games on the schedule, like Alabama, USC then goes on the road to Oregon, um, which has been a problem. USC hasn't won there since 2011, um, back when Matt Barkley was quarterbacking the Trojans. So as I was mentioning before, when it comes to Oregon, if the holes can be filled with Justin Herbert on offense, if Oregon can get back to, to rocking and rolling on offense, I think that's going to be um, not even a, a trap game for USC, but one where, where they're the underdog uh, coming in. But um, if USC can stay focused and physical through that slate, if they can make it through the likes of a Stanford, a Utah, Arizona State, and Cal games, then I think they match up much better with Oregon. But if there's a stumble or two early on in that schedule, Oregon's one of those games where your confidence is reeling a little bit, and, and Oregon can exploit that, definitely uh, uh, being the home team. Then you have Washington coming to the Coliseum, um, which before is a game I would I would circle on the calendar. Um, Washington hasn't been to the Coliseum since 2015. They came in on a Thursday night with Steve Sarkeesian, um, the head coach of USC, Cody Kessler, the quarterback, and USC loses to Washington at home 17-12 to on a, a woefully inconsistent Thursday night. Um, but I don't think that's the same story here uh, five years later again. Um, but... Jimmy Lake by November 14th will have had nearly an entire season to work through um, to work through those those kinks in the system there mm-hmm. as, as a first time head coach. So I do think Washington will keep that game competitive and and that's one to keep your eye on. Then it's the crosstown rivalry at the Rose Bowl against UCLA. The thing about UCLA is now Chip Kelly is in his third season, very similar to Kevin Sumlin um, who came in on that same timeline at Arizona. 
this is a make it or break it year for Chip Kelly, especially with Martin Jarman in his first season as athletic director at UCLA. So all eyes on Chip Kelly in year three. Um, but I do think that Dorian Thompson Robinson, the quarterback there of the Bruins, is one who is ready for a breakout here. He has shown flashes of brilliance, dare I say, as a Trojan, especially in that second season where he was in a starting role. Um, UCLA beat the Trojans last time at the Rose Bowl in 2018. So this is going to be, you know, as rivalry games always are, very emotional, probably going down into the fourth quarter. Uh, so if, if Thompson Robinson uh, can can remain consistent with his play, I think that's going to be a game that um, the USC defense generally, no matter who the defensive coordinator is, it's a trend over this last decade. When you face a mobile quarterback such as Thompson Robinson, who, oh, by the way, put 31 points on the board against USC last year at the Coliseum, uh, can, can give some problems. But um, I think... By year three, if Chip Kelly hasn't figured it out, he might not ever figure it out mm-hmm. um, yeah. in, in UCLA town. So uh, I think USC takes two in a row uh, there in the in the battle of the victory bell. And then, of course, the season closes out with Notre Dame. Notre Dame, and, and let's talk a lot about this next week, Michael, but I think Notre Dame is one of those teams to watch out for with playoff implications in their schedule. They play Clemson. They play Wisconsin. Those are games where, even as an independent, if you can knock off Clemson at home, if you can knock off Wisconsin at a neutral site, you're on the radar of the college football playoff. And if you can have, as it always is when it when it comes to playing USC in the last game of the season, it's always a nationally televised primetime game at the Coliseum. The entire country is watching. Notre Dame was in the same situation two years ago in 2018, where stumbling a little bit out of the gate, but find their footing, beat USC by seven points, and then punch their ticket to the college football playoff. So Notre Dame benefits from not playing in a college uh, football conference mm. championship game. So their end-of-season statement comes at that at the Coliseum on, on the 28th. So if, if Notre Dame can find a way uh, to, to come into that game undefeated as they were, uh, two years ago at the end of the season against USC, that will be a game that could ultimately decide, does Notre Dame go to the playoffs? So, um, you know, obviously that's going to be a very fun back and forth game. But again, if USC can can navigate some of these challenges through their, uh, through their calendar, play Notre Dame pretty well, uh, they have the home field advantage. Last year only lost by three points on the road uh, to a very talented Notre Dame team as well who, oh, by the way, returns now a third-year starting quarterback in Ian Book, who has all the makings of that prototypical NFL build that you want in a quarterback, that's going to be a challenge. So um, it's hard for me, uh, as I as I kind of went back and forth, to put a, a season prediction, but I'm going to chalk up Alabama, Utah, and Notre Dame as the three games where, again, USC's got to play its game, otherwise a 9-3 and three season looks pretty inevitable. Um, but play physical, and if you make it out 11-1, 10-2, Clay Helton is safe for that top five recruiting class, and USC is knocking on the door of a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, I think, you know, just listening to slightly biased, I, w- I, w- I would say you did a pretty great job at giving arguments for, for both sides. I mean, some of them, obviously, Alabama. Yeah, uh, sorry. I didn't uh, call but- a win there. I oh, just, oh, no, 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 no. I, I was just saying like certain ones were very obvious. The Alabama one, the New Mexico one, like very obvious. I don't think we really have to talk too too much about those. From everything that I heard, I ended up at another eight win season here. Uh, just kind of 
feeling out and understanding. I mean, I think Alabama's a loss. I think that stretch of what was it, Stanford, Cal, Arizona State, and and Utah. I think there's probably a loss somewhere in there. I do think they yeah, end that, up losing that ASU, Utah, Cal yeah. stretch. I feel me. like there's at least some one loss somewhere in there, especially with the Freaky Friday going to Utah. Um, as uh, to Utah or Utah coming to them. Oh, it's it's to Utah. Okay, yeah, that that doesn't uh, one of those games sounds like a loss to me. I think Oregon uh, is most likely going to be a loss as well. And then you make a really great point where Notre Dame, especially the last couple of years, that game has been great. Like I've enjoyed the heck out of it. I'm not really a Notre Dame fan, but that game has been fun. And they just always seem to be in a spot where the the you know with them just not having that conference championship, they kind of have to put it out on the line. So I do think they might take it out again and an eight and four. Um, it does look like is going to happen, but we will see. We will absolutely see, and we will see you again next week when we talk about just the rest of college football, which is going to be an absolute blast. So Jacob Pollock, USC, and I'll, I'll say it, college football expert. Really appreciate your time today, man. Thanks, Michael. Can't wait for next week.